Kuya, as we explore community care this month, having a better understanding that community care can be expressed in different ways. So last time we talked about patronizing and boycotting as a form of community care. Mm-hmm. So that type of community care seems to be very like support driven, right? Yeah, Siggy, you're very right. Community care is typically seen as a form of support where we usually offer assistance to help the community as a whole advance. So it is interesting that you said it is a form of support, but what are other examples? What other forms of support? Like, what are those things? What could they be? One type of community support that, of course, that we do quite often is elevating others. Uh-huh. Other types of support are those activities that advocate for communities that are in need of more care. Mm-hmm. And, of course, other types of support are those actions where we intervene for those communities that have been disempowered or oppressed. And I would even say that still other types of support involve witnessing and allyship. And uh-huh. in some ways, community care is really an umbrella term that encompasses a wide variety of supports and can take on many, many different forms. And those forms of support can be personal, political, or even individual in nature. Well, I do know that our Hello Hello podcast, we try to, as much as we can, elevate other Filipinos. Like, I guess that's, that is our podcast way of like providing community care, right? Right, right. Yes. Along with sharing the generational wealth that you and I have accrued with our listeners, our profiling and elevating of other Filipinos, you know, whether it be inviting guests onto the show or spotlighting mm-hmm. particular Filipinos within the community. This podcast, we've always said, has been a labor of love, but it's not only just that. It's also an expression of community care. Hey, so you did mention that the other type of support you talked about was intervening for those communities that have been disempowered or oppressed. So how do we do that in a personal and helpful way? That's a really great question. I think that the way we do that is intervening through holding others accountable and then encouraging them to take responsibility. It sounds like, is that like calling people out? Is, is that what you mean? Yeah, that that's partly what I mean. It also means calling people in and not falling into the trap of cancel culture. Oh, cancel culture. That's a big topic. Can we talk about mm. that in this episode? Mm, you're right. That is a big topic. I don't know that we have time to cover <laughs> it all in this episode, but we can certainly start to explore and open this discussion on the topic. Hi, I'm Siggy, born and raised in St. Catharines, Ontario, and now living in the nation's capital of Ottawa. And I'm Jesse, born in Manila, Philippines, raised in Toronto, Canada, and schooled all over southwestern Ontario. You're listening to the Halo Halo podcast, a delicious mix of pop culture and the Filipino-Canadian life. Before we start our podcast, we'd like to acknowledge the lands we're podcasting on. I'm podcasting from the traditional lands of the Huron-Wendat, the Seneca, and most recently, the Mississaugas of the Credit River. And I'm podcasting from the traditional unceded territory of the Algonquin and Anishinaabeg people. Siggy, when I think about being an interventionist in one's approach to community care, it really means being more than just a bystander. Are we sort of talking about like bystander interventions? A little bit. But I would say it goes beyond bystander intervention and beyond bystander intervention training. Mm -hmm. You know, sometimes it's also been upgraded to this idea of upstander interventions. And there's Uh been much talk about programming and training within, you know, universities and colleges or higher education institutions Mm -hmm. about how to intervene and how to intervene safely. 
some of this has arisen from the hashtag Me Too movement and government awareness of responding to sexual violence in higher education sector in North America. And I would say that this type of thinking has also really broadened overall to the North American and Western society at large by calling people out and then calling people in. So for us listeners, let's start at the beginning here. What's the difference between calling in and calling out? Mm. Yeah, really good question. Let's start off with calling out. So calling out is really essentially interrupting oppressive comments. And it's a form of acting like an ally or being an ally for a community or protecting the community that we also identify with or a member of. So it really just means that as you hear an oppressive comment being made, you know, calling it out means interrupting that, stopping that. And the reason why one needs to do that is it helps that when we interrupt those oppressive comments, it stops more harm from being done. So if you think about an echo of sorts, it continues to reverberate. Even if it was what one might consider, quote unquote, a minor oppressive comment, it still has an impact on that person once that person has received that oppressive comment and walks away and hears it. You know, Mm -hmm. they continue to ruminate about it or fixate on it or think about it and then it can have some untold consequences, whether it's on their self-esteem, about how they see themselves or how they see themselves in relation to the community or how they see themselves to the world for that matter. And what I have to say is, and I think that sometimes what happens with calling out is it never feels easy for both the person calling out and the individual being called out. Because in some ways, I think sometimes what happens is people think that they're being called a racist. And I think what happens is people think that calling out is being able to say and pointing at someone and saying, you're racist for saying that. And it's more about actually interrupting the behavior And that's never easy, right? Because I think what people hear instead is is like, oh, are you calling me a racist? And it's like, no, not necessarily. We're just interrupting or worried or really curious why that came from you. And I would also say that calling out, one of the advantages to doing that, SIGS, is Mm -hmm. it breaks the momentum of that oppressive comment. Because if it goes unspoken, other people, like you never know if young impressionable minds are listening, that's how it starts to kind of seep into their own consciousness. We talk about kind of like how hate and biased learning needs to be unlearned. Well, it's it's learned in these contexts. And those that are impacted by oppressive comments will find it powerful when someone is being called out because it really, again, interrupts and stops those comments seeping into that person that's been targeted by that oppressive comment in some way, shape, or form. The other couple of things that I just want to mention before I kind of get your thoughts on this too is is that when we typically call people out, it usually happens in group spaces or public spaces. Right. So it's usually, yeah, it's usually in a group. And I would say that if anything, if you can call something out, it's probably better to call out the systemic behavior or institution as opposed to the person. And this is where it gets really tricky, where people will say, oh, again, are you calling me racist? Are you calling me homophobic? Are you calling me a bigot? And it's like, it's better to call out things like, oh, that's a societal impression, or that's an institutional impression, or that's the patriarchy that seems to be kind of coming through. It's better to call those things out. And then the other couple of things that I would want to say too is is that it's best to call out when you have the emotional energy to do so because it takes a lot of caring labor is the way that I would describe it when you're going to call somebody out. 
So does that kind of make sense? I, I know I just threw a whole bunch of things at you and our yeah. listeners, right? It's so funny right now. So when I hear about calling out and you just defining it, I used to work at the beginning of my career. So being 25, 26, I started mm-hmm. in the public service. And I'll speak very broadly. I was in a job where I was like one of the few visible minorities. Very, And when I say few, like less number of fingers on my hand. Mm-hmm. And some of the comments made by my coworkers, and I'm not a bit, have been a little bit alarming to hear so we would deal with the traveling public and stuff and I remember several of my coworkers, male white they were making comments I think it was gay pride coming in and I remember Mm. some of them just making comments well I just think it's you know ridiculous like really strongly and it just sort of irked me in the sense right so like we're talking 2000 2000 and you know just you and I were friends I have my uncle Danny who is gay Mm -hmm. and people Mm -hmm. I love and I couldn't sit there and I was like, how do I, I'm not cool with this. And I didn't want to ignore it. And I remember just asking, I'm like, why do you hate it? Why do you hate gay pride? Is that, what's the issue? Well, they're mm-hmm. just, you know, people are barely dressed and going around. I'm like, do you know what I think of when I think of gay pride? I go, do you know that it gives an opportunity for families and children mm. of people, gay family members or allies to walk safely and right. support them for an every day. And I remember one of my coworkers sort of pausing. Oh, I never thought of it that way. I'm like, yeah, mm. maybe that's what you should think about that. It's not yeah. just that. And it all is also that. And what hurt are they doing? And it was when you say energy and I'm like, I, I was like, oh, do I have time to get like in this, not argument, but like fighting for this cause. And Little did I know, I did have colleagues who I worked with that weren't fully out, Mm. you know, and it probably hurt me. Mm -hmm. And I was just like, you know, it it was almost like, not that I'm sticking up for them, but I'm like, I'm not okay with this type of talk. And it does take a lot of energy, Kuya. And in a way where I'm not saying that person was homophobic. I'm just saying, well, when you think about it, that comment, you don't like it because this. Did you ever think from a different point of view that this is a venue, a safe space venue for some people? Because that's what it is. Right. Well, I was going to say, A, it just gives me goosebumps just hearing you talk about that because at six, I've always known you've been an ally right from the beginning. And Mm -hmm. even if you didn't fully understand things, you knew inherently what was right or what was wrong or what was inclusive or what was exclusive. And I think you're right. It does take a lot of energy momentum to stop some of these societal biases, which is really what we're talking about. Like when I say oppressive comments, Mm -hmm. we're talking about really types of bias. And like you talked about two types, Mm -hmm. you know, so microaggressions really are just subtle forms of stereotyping, discrimination and othering, you know? And so it's things like saying, like, if you've heard your colleagues say, that's so gay, you know, then, you know, and I know that we don't necessarily hear that today, at least, you know, 2022, but but I think probably 20 years ago, we may have heard a little bit more about that. And I think if your colleague had said like, why pride or why is that so important? It can't be so important, you know? Mm-hmm. That's really a micro invalidation. So these are interactions that really minimize or negate the psychological experience or meaning for that group or group of people. So uh, LGBTQ2S in- intersection allyships, that entire community, if you think about it, saying that it's just a parade, it's more than that. I remind people that it's a human rights event. Mm -hmm. And the reason why it's a human rights event is is that people were being imprisoned for expressing themselves in a way that other people got to express themselves on a normal, regular, everyday basis. And I think sometimes today we kind of lose sight of that. And I do kind of wonder about reminding even the people within the community that it's less about all these commercial floats and commercial Mm -hmm. sponsorship. And it is about actually selling celebrating inclusivity, but more importantly, human rights and that 
people shouldn't be discriminated against. Right. The other two types of biases are micro assaults and micro insults. So oh. micro assaults is really obvious derogation of other communities. So it can either be done through verbal slurs or ignoring mm-hmm. or just really adamant discriminatory behavior. So they're really in your face behaviors that you typically see. It sometimes also can be really subtle where it's like welcoming in one member, not the other in a lot of ways. And then to just kind of contrast that, there's also micro insults. And they're really just exchanges that are inconsiderate and degrade a person's ethnic heritage or group identity. It's kind of like saying you're asked if an Eastern European immigrant, what kind of vodka they like or making assumptions for a Jamaican person liking spicy food or something like that. And it's Mm. kind of like you can't be making those types of assumptions or you're inadvertently insulting people at at a very basic level. And some of these things originally were really kind of hard to call. And I think after a while, we start to realize actually you get enough of these insults, they're akin to death by a thousand paper cuts in a lot of ways that they start to hurt you after a while. So they do need to be interrupted because they do actually have a cumulative effect. And I have no doubt, Sigs, that when you were interrupting any of the micro invalidations and microaggressions that you may have heard in the workplace, anyone watching, especially those colleagues that weren't out, probably really, really appreciated that. So I don't know if you have anything to add or wanted to clarify or ask anything more about that. How does it, just because of this calling out and being in that place, like I am in 2000s where I am one of the few visible minorities, Mm -hmm. and when I catch it, and it wasn't all the time, but there's so many times where I run into, I'm like, oh, that's an interesting comment. And, you know, I'd be like, oh, that would be an interesting comment. And people like, oh, here we go, Siggy. Uh, Is this a race thing again? Like almost Mm. a gaslight. How do you deal with that? So that's kind of where calling in makes a difference. Okay. So if calling out is in public spaces, then calling in is really in private spaces. And calling in means really finding the opportunity or having the opportunity. So that means either having time, space, energy to discuss with others the impact of their actions on either you or other communities, or other groups with different identities. And really, when you call people in to have really deeper discussions, you're encouraging people to adopt shifts in their perspective. So being more equity-minded or equity-focused, or shift in paradigms, working from a place of exclusivity to being more inclusive, or calling in is also an opportunity to have everyone reflect on how their actions impact a community. (laughs) And... Calling out, you interrupt the microaggression or the microinsult or the biased and or oppressive comments. Calling in really means working with people to help them find a different way of thinking about what they've just been called in on, you mm-hmm. know? And so I think the two actually go hand in hand together. You know, it's not yeah. enough to just kind of call out. Like you're just stopping the harm in some ways, but calling in is making sure that the harm doesn't continue past this moment in time. And it does really mean kind of having to agree to really deeper discussions with people. Right. So it'd be inviting people to a discussion over time and recognizing that you would need to maybe have a number of coffee chats with them or a number of deep dive discussions with them. But I think what's important is really getting to and unpacking or starting the discussion. So, you know, good starters would be inviting people and saying, hey, you know, 
Last time you you said this, I'm curious what you meant by it. You know, I'm wondering if we can talk more about that Mm -hmm. or saying something like, you know, I want to know more about why you said what you said and why you believe that's true. Right. And as you can hear these openers, they're going to take more than five minute conversations. So you need to be prepared to kind of devote yourself to it or asking the question, why did you think that that comment creates problems for you in the, in the workplace or in school or amongst our friends or whatever the case may be. So just having a bit of curiosity, what drives all of this is your own curiosity Mm -hmm. in terms of wanting to call people in Two, making sure that you have enough energy to do it. Because if you don't have the energy to do it, then I think we all just get frustrated and we're not at our best. Three, really kind of understanding how to unpack that with the person. And again, I said curiosity drives it. But four, and most importantly, you believe that person has the appetite to hear what you have to say. Right. If the person doesn't have the appetite to hear what you have to say, then I think it's probably safe for someone else to have that discussion. And maybe that discussion isn't going to occur with you or with me for that matter. So those are just some considerations when you are trying to think about how to call people in and how to start that discussion. To just kind of backtrack a little bit to calling out, I think ways of interrupting the harm from continuing in those spaces that's happening publicly, whether it's in groups, at a dinner party, wherever the case may be, is Mm -hmm. just being really direct with people and saying, I need you to know the impact of your comment. Or sometimes I'm playful about it, right? Sometimes I'll say, oh, ouch, you know, can you rephrase that again? (laughs) And so I'll say it that way. And they may say, what? Right. You know, and and you can say like that didn't land so well. I think you want to say that again. Or sometimes it's just being really direct and saying, you know, I feel obligated to tell you that as your friend or as your coworker or as a peer or as a family member, that wasn't okay. That wasn't okay to say. So I know a couple of social justice episodes back, we talked about kind of talking to family about the Black Lives Matter movement and then having to be able to kind of talk about colorism and some of the ways some of those biased comments find themselves into our own culture. Being able to have those conversations and calling out even our own family members becomes really important. And just being able to say that isn't appropriate. And then again, it's better to base it on the behavior and base it on something systemic as opposed to saying you're racist for saying that, you know, or you're being phobic for saying that. So does it help to Clea sometimes just to remind their investments on a different perspective? For example, when I when the Black Lives Matter movement happened and there's a lot of changes and a lot of people are acknowledging, I had relatives who were like, what do we say? There's nothing, what can we say anymore? We're always worried about saying the wrong thing or it's just too much to learn. And I remember talking to my relatives. I'm like, but you know what? I go, it is a lot and no one's going to change immediately. And it's just all of us are learning. I'm learning. And it, sometimes I redirect, I'm like the focus and the investment are the grandchildren, right? Like, mm-hmm. I don't think you'd want them to be put in any way or be slighted or be in an environment where they don't have opportunities to be themselves or to be minimalized or for them not to see representation. And when it's phrased that way, they're like, yeah, I, yeah, that that is important where, yeah, where it's affected, like, yeah, our investment is this. It does seem like a lot, you know, and we have further conversations on it, but uh, sometimes that helps that sort of reframing in those type of conversations, which you are right. It doesn't happen in like one coffee chat. It's just this ongoing, you had mentioned from before. Yeah. I think grounding yourself in that investment and saying that this is worthwhile having a discussion on also helps people. And I think that change doesn't occur in a grand speech. It occurs moment by moment, 
conversation by conversation. <laughs> if you go through my Instagram account, you'll of course see a bunch of drag queens that I subscribe to. One of them is Shangela. Love Shangela. <laughs> I actually met Shangela. I got Shangela to actually do a video, you know, saying to Michael, you know, look who I found in the middle of Las Vegas. Anyways, that's <laughs> safe for another story. And it was really interesting. Like Shangela had kind of posted a picture of her mother, you know, getting her COVID-19 vaccine shots. Uh And she had said, endless conversations, lots of fights, but eventually mom saw what I was talking about and Mm -hmm. then decided to get her shot. Thank you, mom. Love you. And, you know, like even that, like changing people's minds, I typically say this a lot, Sigs, is that... I just ask you to be open to what I'm saying and I'm happy to change my mind if you can provide for me a logical argument that's based on discernible facts out there. Because if you do, then I'm happy to reverse myself and my opinions. But I just ask that you do the same thing for me, right? And that you use kind of like the same concepts. And it is interesting for those people that I think have the appetite to learn I'm happy to sit down with them and understand them as well Mm -hmm. as understand myself. And that's really what calling in is all about, is really kind of thinking about having a longer term discussion. And that every time I help someone see or adopt a position of inclusion and -hmm. inclusive thinking, then that's just one more person in this world that thinks differently and isn't going to be so focused on exclusion or separation or isolation for that matter. Wow. That's really good information. Now, it's only been like about 15, 20 minutes of us talking about that. What are the key points for me to take away from this when I try to call in and have these type of conversations? What are some good things for me to know to take to the table when I'm in these type of situations, Kuya? Yeah, so I think some tips and questions to ask yourself, which I have to say is courtesy of an author named Hu Chan, we'll, we'll put in the show notes, is to ask yourself like a number of questions within the moment, right? So first of all, if you're in a public or private location, mm-hmm. you really have to ask yourself who has the power, who has the privilege in that particular situation? Because okay. the person that I'm calling out, is it the person that I'm calling out or calling in that has the power or is it me? And if I have the power in this situation, then I really should consider about inviting that person to call them in, provided that, again, I think they have the appetite and the willingness to hear what I have to say. And it's also good to ask yourself the question, is the person likely to change their problematic behavior or their mindset for that matter? Mm -hmm. So again, I kind of just think about that as appetite. You know, ask yourself if they have the appetite. If they're not, you know, call them out. If this is someone you've called in before and they're still repeating their actions, I would still say call them out. Mm -hmm. If they're not likely to change their behavior, like if it's a stranger and I don't know them, I don't know that I'm going to call them out, right? And I don't have the energy to put myself in that position. But if it's somebody that I know and someone that I care about, then I think it's incumbent upon me to just say, hey, like, can we talk about this? Like, that was a little problematic. And I just want to find out where you were coming from on that. The other is, who's in the room? You know, who am I accountable to in the moment? Like, are there kids in the room? Are there people that identify with that group (sighs) somehow is being oppressed in Mm -hmm. some way, shape or form? So if someone made an ableist comment, like some disabilities are invisible disabilities. That person may have made, the person that's being called out or called in may have made a comment that 
could have created an insult or micro-invalidated that individual. Right. It becomes important then to kind of say something, at mm. least at minimum, calling them out, calling out the individual who's made that oppressive comment. And then I also have to ask myself, what am I hoping to accomplish with this calling in or this calling out? That is a good question. Yeah, yeah, because at the end of the day, if it's about being self-righteous, I don't necessarily know that that's actually (laughs) the best play. Yeah, I don't know that it's worth it, but I think if it's because that person would probably appreciate knowing that what they're doing is insensitive at minimum, if not harmful, I'm sure that they would be horrified to know that and be like, oh my gosh, I wish someone had told me, right? Right. And then I've already stressed this time and time again, but it really matters on how much energy and emotional labor that you're able to share at that moment. And of course, if you don't have that energy or aren't willing to put in the emotional labor, because it takes a lot of energy to educate someone and work with them to change, I would say, like, think about that as to your decision, whether you want to call people in or call people out in that moment. So yeah, so... You know, when I kind of think about it, I think of some of our friends that I care deeply about. And uh, I remember this one dinner party that our friend Tara was hosting. Right. And I remember one of our friends unintentionally made a transphobic comment about surgery, around gender affirming surgery. And, you know, I love our dear friend. <laughs> and oh, yeah. I, But I had said that, you know, I don't know why that I said it this way, but I, I said that that was inappropriate. And it stopped the conversation, and I think it made people very uncomfortable. But I know later, our friend really learned from that. And, mm-hmm. you know, and I remember broaching the topic later and essentially calling him in. Mm-hmm. And what's great is, is, is that I know that it changed his thinking, and I know that he thinks differently about this, and that the people that he works with probably benefit from that thinking. And he happily reversed himself, and he's very logically minded and stuff like that. And I know he listens to our podcast, so he probably knows who, like, who I'm talking about, but I'm not going to name him just to <laughs> provide him some privacy just as well. But I have to tell you, such fondness. It wasn't an easy thing to do. We're in the middle of a dinner conversation, and then mm. it was like, so I leaned into the uncomfortability and just... Right. Right. took a breath and said, that's not appropriate. That's not appropriate. <laughs> you know, And then just kind of took it from there. I think it's, that's a really good example, especially when you have a long lasting friendship and you're able to open his mind and him being open himself to really learn from it. I think that's mm. just a really good example of like the energy it takes and the investment, the appetite. Mm. Listeners, if you are listening, where you're like, huh, when's the right types of cases? I think you just cited a a good example. It's not fun to have those uncomfortable conversations, but if your accomplishment was just to open up and your friend's point of view and he's adapted to that way and you've had a healthy conversation about it after, I think all the more better, especially if you have care, if you do care about that person, you, you want them to learn and you want for them to put their best foot forward and, you know, be educated on things. So, yeah. Which really takes us to the fixing of this episode, right? And it has to do, too, with being Filipino in the sense that being in the Philippines, there's a a long tradition of pearl diving. And the fixing that I want to say is that it's okay to irritate. And what I mean by that, it's okay to irritate, is, is, is that just like an oyster, if it has a grain of sand in it, it irritates it eventually to turn it into a pearl, you know? And I just think to myself that sometimes it is okay to irritate because eventually you'll get that pearl and that pearl of wisdom. And so 
listeners, I just want you to kind of take that away. Okay to irritate. Well, on that note, if you guys have any questions, comments, concerns, and any questions actually about our social justice episodes, we'd love to hear from you. You can email us at holohollowpopculture at gmail.com. You can also DM us or tweet us on Twitter. Our handle's at holohollowpop. And we are on Instagram at holohollowpopculture. Finally, we receive editorial feedback from Mary Beth Badian. Our musical theme is by Chelterringen, and we'll see all of you guys again real soon. See you guys soon.